Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Mecklen. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8pm Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Mecklen. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday Night Battle Cry. And as always, I'm your host, Mark Meckler, and I am, as always, excited to be here with you. Now, I know that might be weird right now because I'm talking to a lot of people who are kind of down about the last election. And I'll be honest with you guys, I just don't get down very much. I mean, I might get a few minutes of down. If it's really bad, I might get an hour or two of down. Man, if it's crushing and devastating, maybe I have a day of down. I'm just not a down person because I just don't see that it serves me or you in any way to be down. And so I'm always going to be a glass half full, a sunny side kind of a guy. And so that's where I'm going to come at it from this week. We're going to talk about the election a little bit. Of course, we're going to talk about the actions that we took during the election. And we're going to talk about how you learn from what you've done and how you adjust. That's a mantra of the Convention of States organization is act, learn, and adjust. That's something that we always do. We act, we learn, we adjust. And that's really important because if you're going to learn anything in the world, it's important that you take what you learn and you put it into effect. So we're going to talk about how we're going to do some of that. On a quick reminder, our membership drive is still underway. There are millions of people who are members of Convention of States already. If you want to be a card-carrying member for 2023, don't delay because we're taking membership card orders right now until midnight Tuesday, November 29th. That's coming up pretty quick. So you have to commit to being a monthly donor of $50 or more. You get an exclusive premium membership card. That also gives you <laughs> excuse me, access to quarterly calls with me, yours truly. And there aren't a ton of people on those calls. And so that means you get to ask questions and interact with me. It's kind of fun. We love it. We also bring on VIP guests and we do live Q&A. So this is stuff that you'll have access to if you become a member, you commit to being a monthly donor, $50 or more. Producer G has that up on the screen, how you do that. Again, this is how we fund the movement. So we need you 50 bucks a month or more. Uh, you get your membership card. You can show it off. I mean, I don't know if I would show it off, but you could show it off. You could try to use it to buy gas, in which case they'll probably throw you in jail for committing fraud. So I don't really suggest that. But become a member today, Convention of States. All right. We're going to talk about acting, learning, and adjusting, right? So the first question is, like, what actually happened? This is really important that we look at what actually happened. And I think it's complicated. I think that a lot of people are trying to give us very simple solutions, very simple analysis of what happened. And I think anybody who's trying to do it simplistically, they're just wrong. And so I'm going to give you a couple of the simple answers that I've heard that I think are just wrong. One, it's fraud. Okay, now I want to be clear. Is there fraud? Absolutely. There's fraud in every election. How much fraud? Don't really know. I find it highly suspicious. In every place where they have trouble counting the votes, where they have trouble with the machines, where it takes them forever to count the votes into the next epoch or whatever, that it turns out that Democrats always win those races or the vast majority of the time. I saw an analysis done over 70% of the time where it takes a long time to count the votes, Democrats win. So that points to one of two things, either fraud, you know, long time to count, they can manipulate votes, whatever they do, miraculously find ballots, or complete incompetence. Either way, it's only, it literally only happens in Democrat jurisdictions. And so this is really a horrifying thing because I think it puts our entire electoral system at risk. If I can't be comfortable that when I cast a vote, it's just going to be counted quickly, efficiently, legally, transparently, like it's easy to vote and all votes count. And if I can't be sure of that, then I'm not going to trust the electoral system. So I think we have to look at all these places 
then we have to isolate them. We have to look who was in control of the elections. We have to do something about that. So did that change the results of the election? My answer, quite honestly, is I don't know. And I'll get people who are mad at me for this. Oh, yeah, of course, it, it was the reason and it's the whole reason. I saw some guy named Wayne Allen Root, former libertarian vice presidential candidate, put out today that was all fraud. That's the whole reason everybody lost that we wanted to win, maybe. I think that's simplistic. Honestly, I think it's stupid and ridiculous. So let's rely on facts. You and I are fact-based people. Let's stick to the facts. And let's make sure that we learn from this in every place that you and I can, and that's going to be primarily red states, that we lock down the election system tight. Look at a place that has their election system locked down tight. That's Florida, right? That years ago in Bush v. Gore, they had problems with their election system. Since then, they've locked it down, locked it down, locked it down. They have no ballot harvesting. They don't have a bunch of mail-in ballots. They don't have a bunch of early ballots, not, not like some other states. They have some early balloting. That system, within a couple of hours, you had the results, and it was a red wave in Florida. So let's look at that. Look at Florida as the model for how to lock down your election system. I think that's really important. I've also heard a lot about the youth vote, right? Oh my God, the youth vote broke so heavily for Democrats. I've heard it over and over. I've seen dozens of articles about this. As soon as I started seeing that, I called BS on it. And the reason I called BS is, look, do I think it's true that the youth vote breaks for Democrats? Absolutely. I mean, I think that goes without saying. So they do exit polling. They say whatever the number is. Is it 50, 60, 80% of the youth vote breaks for Democrats. What they don't say is how many young people voted in the 18 to 24 range. And I would, I started saying that from day one, people, it's the youth vote, it's the youth vote, it's the youth vote. And I said, how many of them voted? And what we now find out is it was actually a small percentage, smaller than usual of the youth vote. In other words, there was not enthusiasm among the youth vote. And that's what my polling told me would happen is that they weren't enthused to vote for Democrats. They were actually leaning right on the issues. I didn't think that would necessarily make them vote for Republicans. I said that. It's just they're not happy with Democrats. So they didn't come out and vote in big numbers. So it wasn't the youth vote. Here's what I actually think it was, as best as I can tell. Number one, our elections have changed. And they have changed from elections where it matters to who gets out the vote to who collects the ballots. And these are completely different things. You've got to understand the difference. Get out the vote means we drive people to the polls. And this is a traditional voter activity, organizations, nonprofits like ours, the parties, churches, whomever try to get out the vote. We try to get people to go to the polls and vote. That's voting. That's different than tracking and collecting and harvesting and turning in ballots. And the left has become very good at understanding the early vote, working the entire early voting period. They know who got a ballot, they know whether that ballot has been turned in. And so they track those things all the way through the process and they've gotten very good at that. And look, I don't like that style of voting. I don't like early voting. I don't like mail voting. But just because I don't like it doesn't mean we don't have to do it. In fact, if we wanna win elections for conservative-minded people, we're going to have to get very good at doing that. And in fact, in California, in a bunch of places, they had experience with ballot harvesting and they did pretty good on the right with ballot harvesting. They won some races that are kind of a surprise, but those people had a lot of early votes in. And so early voting is going to matter in places where they have early voting. I don't think they should have early voting. I'd like one day of voting, maybe two days, maybe a weekend day of voting and a Friday. I don't believe in early voting. I think we should make early voting illegal in the states where we can make early voting illegal. I think it's stupid. I don't think it works, but we have to use the system 
as it is. So I would say ballot versus voting is important. We have to be good at both of those things, and we were not good at those things. I would say we also have to get better at picking candidates. Now, there are people who are not going to like what I'm about to say. And by the way, if you don't like what I say, I'm okay with that. You and I can like each other. We can agree on 90% of stuff, and there can be things we disagree on. Here's what I'm going to say. If you look at the candidates that lost, they were all candidates that sort of got forced into or came down the lane of they were all about or a big chunk of what they were about was challenging the 2020 election results. Now, I want to be clear. Do I think there was fraud in 2020? Yes. Do I think that's a winning electoral issue? No, I don't. In an election, people don't want to look back. They want to look forward. They don't want to know what you oppose that happened in the past. They want to know what you're going to do to make things better in the future. And so if you look at the candidates that really had a big focus on the 2020 election, a lot of those candidates lost. They lost in disproportionate numbers. Is that the cause? I can't say for sure. I do think it's part of the cause. I'm out there traveling around the country. I talk to a lot of people, and I think we still have to work on election fraud. We still have to lock down our systems. I'm unequivocal about that. I'm involved in that. But I think focusing on the 2020 election with voters today, especially with independents and moderates, that turns them off, and they're done with that. And so we need to say how we're going to fix inflation. How? What are we going to do about gas prices? What are we going to do about grocery prices? What are we going to do about uh, energy? What are we going to do about trade? What are we going to do about crime? What are we going to do about the schools? Specific, what are we going to do? Not just those people are bad at all that stuff. And oh yeah, by the way, 2020 was stolen. So I know some people are going to disagree about that. You're welcome to write into me. Uh, but that's just my position on there. So I think what we have, where we go from here to act, learn, and adjust, we get better at doing the ballot side of things, knowing who gets the ballots, making sure people vote early. If you're in a place where you can vote early, we need to make sure everybody who can does. By the way, part of the reason for this is sometimes on election day, people who absolutely plan on voting, something happens. They get a flat tire. Their kid gets sick. They get asked to work an extra shift, and they don't make it. It's happened to me, by the way. It, not too distant past, I plan on voting in person. I ended up having to leave town on that day. I didn't get to vote. I was really bummed out about that, but stuff happens to people. So if people get their ballots in early, that can't happen. So we're going to have to become experts at early voting, ballot harvesting where it's legal, tracking all those ballots all the way through, making sure that we're essentially banking those votes early on in the process so that when election come day comes, we're not way behind. We're already better at getting out the vote on election day we should continue to be better at that and continue to grow that. But if we can catch up in the early voting and all the crazy ballot harvesting stuff and we can hold that even, we're going to win on election day. So I think that's what we need to do. All right, number three today, Trump announced, right? So this is a big deal. Trump has now announced he's the first candidate in the 2024 elections. He's the only candidate right now in the 2024 elections. Let's talk a little bit about the announcement itself. I don't know if you all had a chance to watch it. And I did get a chance to watch it. And I got to say, uh, it was not bad. That's what I would say. I don't think it was Trump's best by any means. I think it missed the mark. You know, I think it was much more dramatic when he came down the escalator in, uh, in 2015 and made his big announcement uh, at the Trump building. Uh, in Mar-a-Lago, it felt a little bit like he was holed up in his house. He just didn't have the grandeur. Uh, I would have preferred to see him if he was going to do it successfully, maybe in a stadium environment, you know, bring in 20,000 people, pack a stadium, show the power of Trump. Nobody can pack an arena like Trump still today. 
And so I'd have preferred to see it that way. I think that would have been a more successful launch. I thought the speech was too long. I didn't really like that. The announcement didn't come to the end. The speech was over an hour long. That's just too long for any speech. Um, it was pure Trumpian stuff. Uh, I thought a lot of it was good and just on point. He was on teleprompter, uh, which was good. The couple times he broke teleprompter, he was still good. So I thought overall, I'd give the speech maybe a B. Uh, it wasn't Trump's best, but it wasn't bad. And I thought the setting was more like a B minus. I'd like to see him out in arena showing kind of Trump's power, uh, but it's done. So Trump has now announced we can question the strategy. I know some people like the strategy of going early. Uh, maybe he'll keep people out of the race. I think I would have preferred to see him announce later. I think it would have been better for the Georgia runoff. I think it would have been better for the Republican Party in general for Trump to announce later. I think he wanted to clear the field. I think that was his strategy. I don't necessarily agree with the strategy, but hey, I've never been elected president. I've never even run a campaign. So what do I know? I'm just giving you my opinions. Uh, so that's kind of sets the field. Trump is now on the field. There's nobody else on the field. He is the only candidate. So he's going to be out there and he's going to start attacking anybody else who's a potential candidate. So that includes people like maybe Christy Nome in South Dakota. Uh, it includes Mike Pence. It includes Mike Pompeo. It includes Governor DeSantis. Trump's way is he's going to have to start trying to knock them down. That's what Trump does. It's going to be interesting, though, because normally Trump, and, and people say this about him all the time, he's a counterpuncher. People attack him, and then he attacks. And now he's going to have to lead. He's going to have to be on offense. I think that's what he's going to do. We've already seen him going after DeSantis, uh, and this has been an interesting strategy for Trump. I think he's going after DeSantis because DeSantis, we've seen recent polling, it looks like maybe at this point DeSantis is the front runner. A bunch of polls say that. I think that's a little bit misleading. I want to say, I still think the nomination is Trump's to take or Trump's to lose, right? Depends on how he conducts this. He has a solid portion of the base that you're not going to peel away from him. Doesn't matter what he does. But he also has a portion of the base that don't like him attacking DeSantis, don't like that he attacked Glenn Youngkin. These are up and coming heroes in the Republican Party. DeSantis just won the biggest victory in the country in Florida. And I think Trump's attack on him, I think that was misguided. I think that was personally, I think it was a mistake. I think DeSantis and his response, I think he's responded perfectly, which is essentially not responding directly to President Trump. Uh, he was asked specifically about the attacks. And he said, look, when you govern, when you lead from the front, when you're getting stuff done, you're going to take incoming fire. You're going to take heat. I expect that. And I'm good with that. I'm just going to continue to govern. And I think that's the right approach for DeSantis right now. Eventually, maybe he's forced to respond. But right now, I think he's pretty much going to ignore Trump. Uh, we'll see what the other candidates do. And if they get attacked and how they respond. Trump is very good in a one-on-one -on -one sort of, you know, a fist fight with somebody. And so we'll see what happens. DeSantis is avoiding that right now. I think that's to his benefit. All right, next. Who is SBF? or Sam Bankman-Fried. You might have heard the name. You probably heard the name FTX. FTX was a cryptocurrency ex exchange. It was founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, a 30-year-old wonder kid. Some people would call him the modern era JP Morgan. He was a multi-billionaire by all estimates, but apparently he was also some kind of a huckster or a fraud. Uh, you can go out and you can get the details on the story, but FTX literally collapsed his currency exchange, cryptocurrency exchange, collapsed on election day, driven into bankruptcy. 
uh, and a bunch of money is missing. We don't know exactly how much money, a billion, two billion, four billion. It's a lot of dollars. Sam Bankman-Fried is missing a lot of dollars. He was a woke, radical leftist Democrat who gave money to every leftist cause, who said all the leftist tropes. He was the second biggest Democrat donor after George Soros. So right up there with Soros, uh, he had committed to the 2024 election, I think a billion dollars. He said he was going to spend up to a billion dollars in that election personally. And he knew everybody on the left, all the major politicians, spoke at all the major events, the wonder kid of the era. And now he comes crashing down and it looks like in some kind of fraudulent Ponzi scheme, they're unraveling this whole thing now. It looks like he may end up going to jail. You've got the bankruptcy CEO, the person that was appointed by the bankruptcy court saying this is one of the worst run enterprises he's ever seen in his life. And by the way, it's going to get interesting because he was the second largest Democrat donor and the bankruptcy court has the power to claw back transactions. They call it clawing back it's money, perhaps that went to a bunch of these Democrat politicians, a bunch of these Democrat 501c3s, 501c4s, charitable and political organizations. And perhaps the bankruptcy court can claw those back. So you don't see many on the left talking about this because the ties to the left are deep and it's going to be really messy. And especially you have uh, Republicans taking over the House of Representatives. There are going to be investigations on this. Unbelievably, you see Elizabeth Warren right now calling for investigations of Elon Musk, but not a word about Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF. So a little bit partisan, maybe, you think? I don't know. I think so. All right, so that story will continue to unfold. It's going to have big repercussions for years to come. Uh, I want to say one last caveat about that. People are going to say, oh, well, we need to regulate crypto. That's the problem here. No. See, what he did was already fraud. It was already bad stuff. It's already covered by the laws. Regulating crypto just gives the government power over money, and we don't want to do that. They have enough power already. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. All right, moving right along to something much more pleasant than the collapse of a cryptocurrency exchange or the results of an election maybe we didn't like, or even Donald Trump. Something much more pleasant for me is going hunting. I love hunting. I love hunting pheasants. That's kind of my favorite kind of hunting. And I had an incredible hunting trip this previous week, or I should say earlier this week. And I was in South Dakota and producer G is going to show up, throw up a photo and show you who I was in South Dakota with because it's pretty cool. We had a lot of fun. And yes, in the photo that producer G is putting up there, that is Tucker Carlson in the middle. And so I was hunting with Tucker Carlson and even more important people than Tucker Carlson. That's Jacob Meckler. That's my son. Uh, he's a lawyer in Washington, DC, super proud of him. So I love spending time with Tucker and uh, he is fast becoming a friend and a friend of COS. I've known Tucker for a lot of years uh, and we're going to be doing some stuff on Tucker's show. I'm really excited. Don't make that public, you guys, but we are. Um, so great hunting trip. Got a whole bunch of birds, had a whole bunch of fellowship and camaraderie with about 30 guys hunting in South Dakota. We do that once a year. So thanks to Tucker for coming along. Thanks to Jacob for taking time off work to come along. Thanks to you guys for cutting me slack while I was out of the field for a couple of days. But we were doing important stuff in addition to killing a bunch of birds. All right. Uh, next is what's up with COS, because this is always important. That's what we're all about. I'm bringing down an email here. There was an email status update that went out. I'm going to read from this email. I don't normally like to read to you guys very much, but there's a lot of stuff that happened that you need to know about because what you hear about all the elections is, 
oh, doom, gloom. It wasn't as good as it should have been. It's bad. It's sad. It's terrible. It's tragic. But here's the real deal. You need to have hope. You need to know good stuff is going on. In the state legislatures, our teams conducted a bunch of surveys to know exactly who the pro-COS legislators were. And then we canvassed those districts. We knocked, we walked, we called, we made phone calls, we texted, all according to the law in any given state. Here's some of the results. In North Carolina, our work helped a whopping 22 pro-COS North Carolina legislatures win the elections. Five of those were challengers to incumbent COS opposed Democrats. Additionally, because of our efforts, we helped secure a supermajority for Republicans in the Senate. It looks like that might happen in the House as well. There's a couple of things that are kind of dancing around the edges. I think we're gonna end up with a supermajority in both the Senate and the House in North Carolina. In Ohio, our team helped COS supported candidates to pick off a COS opposed incumbent, one in each chamber. And by the way, in Ohio, I think they have supermajorities in both chambers as well now. In Kentucky, we were involved in 17 races. We won 16 of them. In five of them, our candidate was challenging an incumbent Democrat, so we helped flip five seats there. Really good time in Kentucky. In South Carolina, we advocated for and won 21 seats for pro-COS challengers. We secured seats for another six incumbent pro-COS legislators. Total of 27 seats affected there. In West Virginia, three of our four pro-COS candidates won their races. In Iowa, we helped three COS-supportive senators hold their seats. And we picked up one house seat for a former COS strategist who worked for us, and that person picked off an incumbent Democrat. We also, and this is really important, have a bunch of COS people who run for the legislatures, and we're getting more and more. Literally, my goal is hundreds in the next cycle. We had former state director Jay Taylor from West Virginia is now in, going to be in the Senate in West Virginia. Congratulations, Jay. Really proud of you. Uh, former District Captain Alan Chesser from North Carolina. Uh, has been elected to the House, former Iowa strategist, uh, we talked about that above, has been elected to the Senate, that's Bill Gustoff, former Wyoming District Captain Evie Brennan, was elected to the Senate. I gotta tell you a great story. She was there at a rally in Wyoming at the Capitol with Rick Santorum, and we lost. And that happens a lot, right? You know that. And when we lost, she turned to Rick and said, well, I don't even know. What do we do now? And she was depressed and she was down and Rick said, you run for office. And Evie is a mom, and she decided she was willing to put it on the line and, and take that time away from her family and do the hard work. And Evie is now going to be, we're super proud, our District Captain Evie Brennan is now going to be Senator Evie Brennan. Also, former Kansas District Captain Adam Turk uh, got elected in Kansas. We're still awaiting results on a couple more races. Former Iowa State Director, one of my favorite people in the country, Sarah Abdouche. Uh, her race is too close to call still. I think it's going to a recount. In, there in Iowa, and Utah Regional Captor, Captain Quinn Cotter. That one's still too close to call right now, so it looks like we might have a couple more in the legislatures. How cool is that, right? So it's not just talk. We don't just talk. We walk. We call. We text. We work. We do everything it takes to win. That's what we do, and I think that's a really exciting part of Convention of States. Gives you a chance to know that if you get involved with Convention of States, then you have a chance to actually do something that makes a material difference in the world. Uh, I wanna do some Q&A before we close out today. I wanna start with a question from Greg Harry. Why can't the other states do what Florida did and have it all wrapped up by midnight? Look, Greg, the, the deal is they can, and I think they will. I think you're gonna start to see other red states lock down their election systems. They're gonna look at what Florida is doing. There's gonna be a hue and cry 
to look at what Florida is doing before the next election and be ready to do that. I don't think the blue states want to do that. I think you're going to continue to see blue states deteriorate in the way that they take care of their voting systems. Michigan, by the way, got taken over by Democrats and, and they passed a constitutional amendment that has a whole bunch of bad stuff in it, mail-in ballots, drop boxes, all that stuff. So states like that, I think are going to get worse, but I think the red states can and should and will start to lock it down. Donald Russell says, who's going to win the Senate race in the Georgia runoff? Don, look, I think that's a toss up right now. I don't really know who's going to win it. I really, of course, I would hope that it's Herschel Walker, but you know, I think Walker is not the best candidate. He's gotten a lot better over time, but it's hard to predict right now. I would call that one a coin toss, which means you need to get involved. Daisy Frazier says, why is it that Republicans spend as much money as they please and nothing is said about it? Daisy, I don't know what you mean by that. If you mean in DC, nothing said about it. I think that's true. We talk about it all the time. That's one of the reasons we're trying to impose tax caps, spending caps, balanced budget amendment. Look, I come out of the Tea Party movement and one of our big things was fiscal responsibility, but there are very few Republicans in Congress right now that talk about any sort of fiscal responsibility. And to be clear and fair, Donald Trump was not a fiscally responsible guy either. And so that's one of the problems is when you have the leader of the party who is not fiscally responsible, he's not calling for cuts or not calling for balancing the budget. And then you have a Congress that follows his lead. That's what you get. William Anthony Vengley says, could this be the end of America? And the answer is yes, absolutely. It could. <laughs> Every day could be the end of America, William. I mean, we just don't know. God knows that. John Quincy Adams said that duty is ours and the results belong to God. So every generation has to fight their fight to keep the flame of liberty lit. And this is our fight and our time. And the question is, William, you, me, all of us, what are we going to do about it? I'm going to give you one good example. Democrats radically, radically outraise Republicans in politics. And we can point at the big donor class and say they're not giving enough, but we should also point at ourselves. And one of the things I've been looking at is there is a platform called Act Blue. And they raise a lot more money than the alternative platform on the, on the right called Win Red. And so when you get those texts that say, you know, oh, I'm desperate for money or whatever, do you ever give money? And most of us don't. And we have a lot less donors on Win Red than on Act Blue. And so they raise a lot more money, especially in small dollar donors. And that means you and I are gonna have to open the wallets. We're gonna have to respond to those texts and we're gonna have to give more money if we want these candidates to win. Unfortunately, money actually does matter in these cycles. Uh, Thomas Coyne Jr. says, what was the effect of non-citizens on the election? What was the effect of available money on the election and where did the money come from? Okay, Thomas, so let's start with non-citizens. I'm not aware of any. I, I mean, I certainly haven't seen it. I would have to see some data that tells me that there were non-citizens who voted. I think unfortunately, most of the places where non-citizens somehow managed to vote, they're states that are blue states and they're not gonna be looking into that stuff. I don't think that was a significant factor in the election, that's my opinion. The effect of available money, I think that was huge. And I just came from a conference over the last couple of days. Uh, J.D. Vance was there who of course won his election, but he talked about how much he was outspent and how much others were outspent. I was absolutely incredible. Carrie Lake was dramatically outspent. Blake Masters, dramatically outspent. Don Balduck, dramatically outspent. Doug Mastriano, dramatically outspent. So all these people that lost their elections were dramatically outspent. Now, I will say sometimes you can overcome the spending with great grassroots, a great candidate, et cetera. But man, it's sending our men and women into the firefight of an election battle without adequate resources, without the resources on 
par with what their opponents have was kind of a suicide mission. And so where did the money come from? And one of the things we know for sure is a huge portion of it for the left comes from small dollar donors, just regular people who, when they get those texts, they're opening up their wallet, they're given five bucks, they're given 10 bucks, they're given 25 bucks. So all this stuff is important and we got to pay attention to it if we want to win. I think there are, again, there are a whole bunch of factors. There's a whole bunch of reasons this election was lost. Our job is to continue to learn. We acted, now we have to learn and we have to adjust. And I wanna close with this, which is where I started. Remember that our membership drive is still underway. Join the millions of liberty loving patriots across the country, become a 2020, 20, 2020, God, I can't even speak. 2023 card carrying member of Convention of States Action. Do it right now. Uh, Producer G is gonna put that on the screen. We'll be taking membership card orders from now until midnight on Tuesday, November 29th. All you gotta do is commit to being a monthly donor at $50 or more. You'll get an exclusive premier membership card. You'll have access to exclusive quarterly calls with moi, and who wouldn't want that, right? And you'll get to hear VIP guests and live Q&A with me, stuff that you don't normally get on a daily basis. And I don't miss my quarterly calls because I love talking to the folks who are willing to open up their wallets. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all of you. Whether you can give or can't give, if you're involved in the fight, I appreciate you. I'm going to tell you, we need you now more than ever before. I need you. I need your support when I'm out in the field. I can't do what I do without all the things that you do. So God bless you guys for being patriots. Thanks for watching The Battle Cry, and we'll see you next Sunday. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.